Hey there, folks. Before we start today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, I'd just like to remind you guys that you can check out my daily sports column. It's free by going to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. You can just check out my Twitter to find the link there. Go check out chasethomaspodcast.com. There's a link on that page. Uh, But yeah, go check it out every day. New sports story in your email inbox. Uh, Yeah, go tell a friend, share it out, send it to anyone else you think would uh, like the newsletter. But yes, every single day, go to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Just Google Sports Renaissance Man, Chase Thomas, whatever you're most comfortable with, go do that. Uh, If you are an Apple Podcast listener, don't forget to leave this show a five-star rating and review. Uh, It's important uh, to help the show continue to grow. And last thing, uh, very quickly, but uh, please email me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com to uh, get your mailbag question in or any other questions that you might have about the show, about the column, anything like that. Uh, new mailbag columns go up every Friday. Uh, if you have any questions for the weekly shows that you would like us to answer on air, whether it's John Taylor on Wednesdays, Evan Swords on Mondays, the sports reporters on Fridays, uh, make sure to get those questions in and we'll read them on the show or I'll answer your questions in the mailbag on the newsletter. So Go do that. Uh, again, that's Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, leave the show a five star rating and review. Follow on Apple Podcasts if you can. Uh, I think that's it. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, the Atlanta Sports Guys, we have reassembled because it is Friday afternoon where I am joined as I am every single Friday. Bye, Max Markovich, uh, down there in Atlanta, and also Garrett Chapman. Guys, how are we doing this evening? Good, man. Good. It's a great day. I, I have a day off finally, and, if, and obviously, it, because always this happens, it's an overcast. <laughs> I was going to go up to the pool at my new place, and I was like, yes, finally, let's go. Mm. Can't, can't get up there. Are you a pool guy? <laughs> I, sometimes. I'm very pale, so uh, I, I got to go when I can person i assume the fair skin <laughs> aspect does not bode well at the pool. no actually honestly the overcast might do me some good <laughs> i go with friends normally if, if they're coming then i'll go and then i just i don't know i'm like a, i'm like a puppy i am good with groups i just enjoy those <laughs> you're good with groups i love groups interesting large parties large parties i love them max are you a group person I'm a group person. I'm also a pool person. But last weekend, I got a, I got a sunburn at the pool last weekend. That um, if the photo ever leaks, like I don't think I can ever show myself in public. <laughs> it's bad. Where was it? It's just on my friend's pool, like rooftop, and I was just laying out. And oh, no, uh, I no, got no, I'm saying location wise, where was the burn? Oh, oh, uh, front half of my body. <laughs> uh, chest stomach the whole thing oh god i've had some pretty bad burns in my lifetime oh god i once fell asleep face down on the beach around midday down in destin florida mm. fell asleep for like three hours on the beach and nobody thought to wake me up before i so for sunscreen or anything woke up at about like three o'clock in the afternoon i said oh no <laughs> i could feel it all, all down my back i couldn't walk man I, I don't know if you've ever had the backs of your knees burn before but it is quite possibly the least pleasant experience of my life. So. Tops, tops of the feet are like also Ooh. underratedly horrible. Oh, yeah. And if you get your ears, then they start itching. And it's, oh, God. See, I hate y'all burn a lot. Y'all are very versed. Bro, I'm pale. <laughs> I'm on. extremely pale, too. Like, I'm fair skinned. That's why I was so 
annoyed last month in Jacksonville when I got burned is I was SPF 50 and I was like very careel reapplied right. did everything and I still burned and I peeled you're the kind of guy who applies sunscreen like four or five times though <laughs> I heard I heard uh, <laughs> I heard a conspiracy theory that S- and anything over SPF 30 is just all the same it's just I heard that too it's like mean, an old it wouldn't still. surprise me like there I can't, has to be I can't a verify point. but <laughs> there the has dude to be at the supermarket said it was true so it has to be true right yeah, I don't know that's what I heard actually thing, yeah. I got over it like that was something isn't it weird like when you're younger it's like it's not cool to have SPF 50 or it's like it's not cool to protect yourself from the sun it's like one of the dumber things we all do as kids it's just like is that dude putting on sunscreen to prepare himself for that what a loser <laughs> no dude I, I need the sunscreen if I don't have the sunscreen I burn so badly Oh God, it's so bad. I haven't had a sunburn, like a bad sunburn, though, in a while. It's been a long time. Yeah, I, I just, I, I get nervous about it. I don't know. I feel like sun cancer runs in my family, so like I, uh, I yeah, don't know. I'd rather, I'd rather avoid it at all costs. So I'm, I, I even run in long sleeves now with how hot it is right now. Like I have never sweat so much in my runs than I have in the last week. Like it is so humid and so hot here in Knoxville. I don't know what it's like in Atlanta right now, but I am getting trenched in my my runs right now and i, I don't it's I don't you're 30 okay well it's not because of that <laughs> i don't think wait did you say you wear long sleeves when yes. you run that's why also dude how do you survive well i have to like i i don't want to burn my air like i i wear it with the hat the long sleeves and shorts my legs are accustomed to the sun so my legs actually tan pretty nicely but like outside of that i cover everything else up how long are your runs uh, about 20 25 minutes 3.5 miles I don't think I've ever burned in that amount of time. It's not even like I'll burn. I just, just in case, like you, you can never be too cautious. <laughs> Sun's not my friend, man. Oh man. You, you sound like the kid from uh bench warmers. You remember yeah, that movie? I know that was the, the guy who's scared of the sun. <laughs> yeah. Sun's not my friend. It wasn't his friend. It wasn't my friend. And people say that I remind them a lot of uh, Nick Swartzen in all kinds of contexts. Um, <laughs> Is that uh, his name? Nick Swartzen. Yeah. Okay. Well, Have you ever I'm... watched any of his standups? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I I actually no, I probably have. I probably have. Now that I'm thinking about it, they're good. He has uh he has some good ones. Um, he's also like a super Minnesota fan. I think he's like a gigantic diehard uh, Vikings fan. Um, speaking of the NFL, guys, we are going to start our weekly preview series, div- uh, positional preview series for our Atlanta Falcons as training camp ramps up in three or two and a half weeks. What is it? It's July 31st. So what are we? It's July 15th. So 16th. Yeah. Two weeks, um, which I'm excited about. It's almost here training camp right around the corner during this NFL dead period, but we're going to start on the defensive side of the ball that will be coached by DMPs. Um, and I'm curious to know if you guys even, do y'all know who the current OC is off the top of your head? Could you, Nate, could you shout out his name? He was the oh, Bears passing game coordinator. Yeah, Doug uh, Ragone. No, uh, what's his name? Oh, shit. In this wild, immediately. I look it up almost every day <laughs> because I'm like, who is it again? I, I, it's Dave Ragone. Ragone, right? Yeah. Ragone, yeah. yeah. I you said Doug. Doug. Oh, yeah. I said Doug. Doug. Come on. It's it's July 15th. The office <laughs> made, had a great run. I don't know. I just have been so tuned out ever since the draft. I've just been sort of, I haven't really thought about the Falcons like at all. Until you're like, let's do a Falcon secondary like thing. I'm like, yeah, 
okay. <laughs> I literally am a writer for the Falcons. I just haven't thought about them for like a month. <laughs> Y'all been waiting to other things. in the, the Hawks at this point. You were like, oh, they might go to the finals. Remember when there was someone in this pod who was like, they're probably going to the finals. And I was like, Dude, mm. they would have gone oh, to the healthy tra- if, hel- if Trey Young was healthy, this team was this team would be playing in the NBA finals. I don't. Think you, you can't. Can you can't drag me for that take uh, <laughs> a month before the playoffs, saying they might be able to make the finals when they like no one they two games coming. away. No one expected that except for Markovic over there. I'm gonna do it anyway. Um, it's my show. My name's on the secondary. show. My name is on the show. <laughs> drag whoever I want, whenever I want. That's how this works now. Um, I just. I think I'm. I'm excited because I just think the reason maybe the Falcons have popped back in my mind is just that. PFF had a really good piece outlining like why the Falcons are a high floor, low ceiling team in 2021, which I think is interesting around the league. Everyone just expects like seven and 10, eight and eight. I, I, I got to get these numbers right because of the 17, 17 game season now, but like eight and nine, like they're somewhere in that window, but it's very unlikely that they do another four and 12 season. And I think I agree with that by and large, even after trading Julio, but I do think it's interesting because so much is riding on them, keeping it moving because Terry Fontenot was on the NFL show with Robert Mays and talking about like they rebuild is not in their, their dictionary, like in their vocabulary, uh, what have you. And I think that's fascinating. And I think he is the right man to kind of navigate those waters because of where he came in new Orleans where the salary cap doesn't matter. And they just keep punting on rebuilding and finding money for Ryan Ramsey. And just that like the saints have floated this tightrope or walked this tightrope for several years now. And the Falcons are going to have to do the same thing with an aging Matt Ryan. So I'm fascinated to see how he does all of this and gets the cap not right, because if he gets the cap right, you can't just like be in the middle ground like you can't do that. You have to find ways around it. And I think it's just going to be fascinating to look because on defense is where a lot of these questions are going to pop up with Grady Jarrett getting paid. You have uh, Dante Fowler being gone probably after this year. You have the Deion Jones question. You have the Foya Olicon, how much do they value him. Um, AJ Terrell will eventually come up for an extension. Like there's just, uh, there's names across this roster where I'm curious to see how this all unfolds, but the secondary, a lot of change, man. Keanu Neal, not there. No Keanu Neal, no Ricardo Allen, just some new faces. And I think it's gonna be fascinating because right now you have Richie Grant coming in, you have Deron Harmon coming in, but there's a chance that Jalen Hawkins, uh, the fourth rounder from 2020, uh, gets one of those starting spots. You got Eric Harris, the other safety spot. So I'm interested in that. I'm interested in Isaiah Oliver and where he's at. Cause AJ Terrell, he flashed some superstar stuff last year. I think AJ Terrell is going to look like a good pick. Um, going forward and then you have Kendall Sheffield who I'm not all the way in on like I'm not a big but then you draft Darren Hall in the fourth round so they've spent a lot of draft capital and then Avery Williams who's going to specialize in the return game um the fifth like they've invested a lot of resources this offseason in rebuilding that secondary so I think it'd be fun to start here um Garrett when you look at this this group and what Fontenot has assembled so far and what the leftovers were from the Dimitrov era what do, what do you see well, I mean, this 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 secondary. If you have one quarterback who basically amassed like whatever statistics they they led up last year, forty seven hundred yards, thirty four touchdowns, he's going to the Pro Bowl. <laughs> That's how bad this unit this this group was last year. Um, I mean, they I think they gave up more passing yards than the 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 LA Rams gave up in total yards. I mean, this this group is just not very good. But a, a lot of that had to do with like, that came in like with the the Dak Prescott game where they were trying to come, come from behind with the Bears game. They were coming from behind. 
Um, so I think that had a lot to do with it. But this group was bad, but it was also young. And I think it's going to be, a, a, again, pretty young this year. Um, I do really like the additions they have at safety. Eric Harris and Daron Harmon, both were our big locker room guys. I mean, they're both in their early 30s. I think they're both 30, 31 years old. Um, they're solid players. You know what you're going to get. They're not going to be anything too flashy. They're not going to they're not going to be pro bowlers or anything. Um, but I think both are captains last year for their respective teams. I mean, Deron Harmon got traded from the Patriots to the Lions and then immediately became a, a, a critical locker room presence. And I think that's going to be very important for this group, especially with the young Jalen Hawkins and Richie Grant. Uh, Richie Grant, who I'm huge on Richie Grant. I think he is uh, an absolute steal. Getting him in the second round, he was a first round talent to me. Uh, so when we were able to get him in the second, early second round, I thought that was huge for this def- for this defense, especially for Dean P's defense. Um, and I think, I, I honestly, I think this defense or this secondary is going to be a lot of. Like, I think it's going to improve, um, but I think it's going it's going to improve as a functionality of the s of the pass rush. Which I mean, honestly, I swear to God, we've been talking about the pass rush for the better part of uh, two decades, <laughs> ever since ever since we lost John Abraham. Uh, we, we really had, and even before that, I mean, like we, we just haven't had anything from the pass rush. Uh, but if we can get a little bit more pressure on the quarterback, I think this secondary is really going to flourish, especially with the youth on the outside. Max, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think off the bat, we need to frame this conversation with like, like we're going to say some good things some bad things, but, um, PFF ranked all 32 NFL secondaries coming into 2021 and the Falcons wore 32nd, um, oh, which is last. Yeah. So, uh, I think you need to start there, right? Like we can say we are excited about uh, AJ Terrell, which I am. I can say I'm I'm cautiously high on what Kendall Sheffield could be, which which I am. Um, but like the ceiling of the secondary is probably like still slightly below average. Um, I, you know, I, are you okay I, with that? Kind of, I, I it's not a matter of like whether I'm okay with it. It's just sort of a matter of um. You know, the previous regime poured resources, and this is sort of the story of the Falcons, is like the previous regime poured resources into um, the top of the roster. They paid the top of the roster. It almost won them a Super Bowl, um, which we need to continue to point out. Um, and that came at the expense of, you know, nickel and diming in other places. And so when, when you know, you can't afford to keep Keanu Neal and Ricardo Allen, and you basically have to hit the reset, um, I, I don't hate the way they hit the reset, right? Like I like the I like the Daron Harmon signing. I like you know Eric Harris enough, um, and I like the Rick, Richie Grant pick. Um, but like you know, there's not a ton here to suggest this is going to be like a good secondary this year or probably in the next couple of years. But I also think part of the part of the game plan here is is for um, Dean Pease's scheme to sort of mask a few of these weaknesses yeah um i think that's important I, to point out too yeah. right like that's the reason for optimism is the dmp's addition and what he does and like what his track record is here so even if the some of the parts aren't great it's maybe on talent they're 32nd but with what dmp's is able to scheme up they can they can flirt with that mid-20s space right and 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 the long term like if you, if you want to be an optimist about this the long-term trajectory of the secondary could be pretty good like if you hit on Isaiah Oliver and Kendall Sheffield in particular. Um, and then obviously AJ Terrell becomes what I think we both, we all think AJ Terrell will be. And Richie Grant is a starting caliber safety. Like that's a really good, young, cheap place to start. Um, and so 
Long term, like I, I would say this is not my biggest concern for position groups with the Falcons. Um, it's probably not even top two or three. Um, short term, I, I don't see it being good this year, but I also don't like you. This defense doesn't need to be good to be a better football team than last year, to be a, a winning football team this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about that, I think, a lot more when we talk about the offense. But like you just need to be passable. Um, and, and, you know, that could be possible. I mean, if you get this group into the top 20, I, I think I think Dean Pease is going to get this to the low 20s, maybe like 20 to 25 range. But if you can get better than that, like even just like generate some turnovers, uh, I don't know, <laughs> get after the quarterback. I mean, I think you do that and then this deep, the secondary is going to just flourish. Uh, but if you can get it to like the just around the average mark, I think that is that's a, a huge accomplishment for, for Dean Pease in this defense. And I think he might be able to do that. I don't know, but we might have some. Maybe that's not realistic, but maybe it's just me being a hopeless optimist about this defense, but I don't know. <laughs> Who do you think gets the most saps, snaps among the, the two safety spots? Uh, Daron Harmon, probably. He's the guy I would point to specifically. But, I mean, they're, they're also going to want to come and bring in Richie Grant and Jalen Jason. I mean, I think it's just going to be uh, – it just depends on what Dean Pease does because Dean Pease, want, want the, mo- the thing that I'm most fascinated with him um, about is is that he can just sort of align his schemes with whatever he has, mm-hmm. and and he can do that on a week to week basis. And he showed he did that. He did that in Tennessee, and he made that defense uh, a top 15, top ten, top fifteen defense. And then as soon as he leaves, it drops to like the twenty sixth ranked defense. I mean, he he's he's shown that he can do more with less, uh, and I think he's going to do that this year. I, I, I firmly believe that because he has the ability to. Be, He's just malleable. I mean, he can he can adjust and he, and he can do it on the fly. Um, so I, to answer your question, I, I don't know. It could change on a weekly basis. Yeah. When when they when they signed um, Harmon and Harris, I think we that was before the draft. Um, I think we sort of had a little bit of a text conversation, being like, "Is this the planet safety?" Because that's a little. Uh, but I, I think I think their their thought their their plan here is sound, right? Like they didn't have the cap space to go out and make a splash at safety. Um, so they got two hopefully solid veteran options um, along with Jalen Hawkins with the hope that the guy they draft, they bring in a young guy with the hope that he can eventually work his way in and become a starter. Um, yeah. You don't want to throw them to the fire. Like you want to have the right. mixture where yeah, like you don't exactly. have to give him all those reps and you don't want to come into training camp day one and say, um, Richie Grant, save us here. Um, because that's just not a healthy way to, to bring a rookie into the fold um, right away to a secondary that's not very good. Um, and that's what Terrell had I to like, deal with last year. We should mention, like, Terrell had to deal with that a lot last year. Yeah, I mean, he was he was out there guarding the, the best, you know, opposing receivers. Um, it's already one of the most difficult positions on the football field. Because you're out on an island half the time, and, and they showed a, a complete lack of willingness to, to adjust to anything, and um, I mean, look at Akuda. He went number three of, last year, and he was like, I think PFF's maybe worst graded corner in football last year. And they were just watching Terrell. tape of him. Akuda was getting destroyed. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh no, we were just getting slaughtered. I mean, like we we were just in terrible position, just constantly. Um, and that's why I think I think there's been this sort of like weird. Um, if if you guys have reached the uh, the national conversations around AJ Terrell and sort of around football circles. 
has just been kind of a little bit down on him. And then every Falcons fan who watches him play is like, wait, no, like y'all don't get it. Like he was really good last year. And like the fact that he stayed afloat is a huge accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, he was young. I mean, he, everyone's like just everyone just pointed to that LSU game. Just like, see, so told you so. It's like, no, what are you what are you what are you talking about? No, Terrell, I mean, the guy, the guy, and I think he has the he has the talent. I like I like Terrell a lot. I was a little bit yeah. dubious of the pick because of just like my reason I was uh, dubious about the pick last year was that. I just thought so much was going into last year being a Super Bowl run. Like they needed so much. They needed somebody in the cornerback position. It's kind of like the point guard position in basketball where it seems like you need a couple years and you're just going to be bad as you figure stuff out and you get burned and you get torched and um, you have to adjust. But the Falcons didn't really have time to adjust with Julio potentially being it and just the, the amount of resources poured into that team that like this was a do or die year. So you do a do or die year with CD lamb. Like you just hope that you score enough um, with that trio that it doesn't matter what's happening on defense. And then, cause like by the time AJ Terrell is good, it's a new regime and that's what happened ultimately. I, I also think sort of like my, my macro Falcons take here applies um, to the defense too, which is that like, there's going to be this like sort of undercurrent of like this team, is, you know, the roster is not very good, but I think we saw last year sort of in the second half of the year when Raheem Morris took over that like the defense can be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the talent on the roster is not great. Um, I don't think on the defense, I don't think anyone would say it's like a really loaded defense, but like, it's not, it's also not like a bottom three defense in the NFL. And I think with like some basic coaching upgrades on both sides of the ball, the floor of this team is just going to be so much higher. And I think, I think the Julio trade really just like soured everyone on the Falcons in general, um, in a way that I think was a huge overreaction to Mm -hmm. where this team actually is. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, Garrett, your standout pick, who do you think grades the best among the safeties and corners for PFF this fall? Who do you think ends up being the highest graded Falcon secondary player? Ah, uh, um, I think it's Richie Grant. Hmm. I think he's gonna. I think Ooh. he's gonna be a guy who's gonna come in and sort of make a splash. I mean, he was a redshirt senior down at UCF, and he he's been on the radar since like his sophomore year. I mean, the guy's a stud. <laughs> I mean, he can do it all. He can he can clean up. He, he tackles effectively. He he can get after. Uh, he's a ball hawk. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna show up on the stat sheet. Uh, now the, the only thing holding him back, honestly, he may not just he may just not get enough snaps. Um, but I'm gonna go out on a limb. I'm gonna say Richie Grant because I'm that's how high I am on Richie Grant right now. Well, we've seen those uh, impacts. I, Jonathan Abrams like that in Oakland a couple of years ago before he got injured in that Monday Night Football game. Like we can, I think it's easier for safeties to adapt quicker than it is yeah. for corners. Well, because you bring him in and just let him do his thing. I mean, the guy's an athlete. He's and, and so it's like basically what you do is you just a plug and play. Uh, read the quarterback's eyes, figure it out, and then he just do it. Um, it's because it's not exactly like an AJ Terrell situation from from a year ago, where yeah, you yeah you have to to figure out schematics and and uh, your footwork, your your everything, and then you're going up one on one against the best of the best of the best. Um, no, I mean being a safety, it's it's a little bit easier of a transition, I think. Um, but I, I could I could see it, I could see it. I just think he's I, I I'm just very high on him. I, I, so Richie Grant, that's what I'm gonna roll with. What Let's about go. you, Max? I'm cautiously optimistic on all of the corners. Actually, I, I think I think this will be the year that the Terrell kind of sort of like becomes like the Calvin Ridley of the defense, like sort of that career trajectory where it's like, oh, this guy 
this guy will be a number one corner for us um, for a while. And I think that will be like very reassuring as like sort of a steady anchor for, for the defense in general, but definitely for the secondary. I'm I'm going to stay high. I know this is this is a make or break year for Kendall Sheffield, but I I, I believe in that talent. Um, and I think he's shown flashes to the point where I can. I, I think he's a good football player, and I think if he stays healthy, he he'll have the chance to prove that. And I think um, Fabian Moreau will be. Oh, that was my pick. A guy. I, I was going to say I think he'll be a guy similar um, where where it's like. We didn't talk about this guy all off season. The dark um, was Denard. We, yeah, the dark was Denard. Where it's like we didn't talk about him all year, but we just like feel super comfortable with him and can't imagine the secondary without him type of thing. Um, so I like all three of those guys. I think Terrell will be the, the highest graded. If Terrell is the highest graded, it's going to be a good year. Like if Terrell yeah. is an elite shutdown corner, um, that's a game changer, um, and that gets them out of the thirty second spot. Because uh, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but this division has a lot of top end receiver talent, and the NFC <laughs> as a whole has a lot of top end talent. So having somebody like Terrell um, is good. The Braves. Well, actually, real quick. Oh yes. One, one last thing. One last thing. Avery Williams. Mm-hmm. Did you guys did you guys read much about him during the draft process? Uh, a little bit. A little bit. He's just he could also be like one of the sneaky picks, but not because of his play on defense. It's just because he. I, I could theoretically see this guy playing all in all three phases so I, I he could come in and be a white like a slot receiver if we needed him to be he's going to be a return specialist he's going to be a cornerback too so he's, he's a guy I'm, I'm very interested to watch he's gonna be like one of those like swiss army knife kind of guys i don't know how good he is necessarily as a pure cornerback but or just even as a, as a, a safety or whatever position he's gonna come in and play i think he's gonna come in and play a cornerback but i don't know just an interesting name to throw out there just to keep an eye on him also the idea that we're gonna get cordero and avery williams that's kicks. gonna be a great combo. Avery, combo Avery Williams player. had like ten. I think he had ten punt return or punt slash kick return for, returns for touchdown in like one season or something like that. The guy's the guy's an animal. He's so good for Boise State the past couple of years. I'm about it. I'm about it. Uh, the Braves made a trade last night, guys. Like the the Braves did what I was Ooh. hoping they would do. They traded. They, they, they didn't buy like this is the thing is like you have to frame it correctly and it's not buying like Chuck Peterson is not saving their season, but it's what they should do. It's a good thing for the fans. Like if they had just sold, traded Charlie Morton, traded Drew Smiley, traded Will Smith and just moved on, um, it just would have been a abject disaster and admitting failure and just a bad look for for this franchise that's still within reach because the Mets clearly don't want to win the NL East. It it's there so like the idea that you can still push for the playoffs and win the nl east is still a possibility and you can go after people that you could still theoretically keep in your outfield long term and and long term in the next two to three years while you keep trying to contend just because acuna is gone which sucks doesn't mean you can't add pieces that are going to help even going into next year and peterson because the outfield is so unsettled with azuna with pache uh, with acuna being out you make this kind of deal because even if it doesn't put you back into contention without Acuna this year, guess what? He's probably going to be around next year. And that's great because they are going to need veteran bats that they know what they're getting. They needed somebody like this to fill this spot. And I, I love the Jock Peterson uh, trade. What, what do you think, Max? Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think it's important for one, uh, you know, first reason, cause it signals sort of their intent here, which is mm-hmm. not to tear it down, not to just give up, not to throw their hands up. Um, giving and, us a reason to watch the rest of these games this fall. Yeah. It's like, it would be such a demoralizing 
like adding insult to injury if you know Acuna goes down, which is just I don't think we've had a podcast since then. That's devastating um, in so many ways. But but you don't have to like throw your hands up and punt. And and, and in doing so, you also like if they had just torn it down, um, I don't I don't like they would have they would have probably sold pieces that would have you know possibly help them next year and like in years they're trying to contend and it's just like it's not what a contending team is should do um even you know especially a contending team that's what four games out first place like yep i i I like i like them living in this middle space of like we're not going to do anything that's going to sacrifice the future in in terms of giving up massive assets but we're also not going to just um you know throw our hands up and and sell and kind of screw albies and freeman right and austin riley like who are putting in serious work Albies being an all-star like hey thanks for being awesome this year here's a here's a good player that's going to keep this thing afloat so that you can the season's not for nothing yeah i mean this team can still make the playoffs i mean as crazy as that sounds uh i at after the acuna injury i'm i'm not at all that they're going to make the playoffs um but this is also an important thing because it signals to Freddie Freeman that you're still willing to invest in this team in the here and now. Because Freddie Freeman, he wants to sign a contract. I think that's that was made like blatantly obvious following his whatever his, his following his comments at the at the All Star game. He wants to be in Atlanta. He wants to be a Brave. But the thing is, you're Liberty Media. You need to show him that you are committed to this team. You're committed to making this roster a winner, and you're not just going to give up. Because if he if they just come out and give up, that signals that this team is that. Just Liberty Media is not invested. And if I'm Freddie Freeman, this is probably the last major contract that I'm going to sign um, before I just so go maybe sign like some veteran contract somewhere else, like a, like an Albert Pujols style thing. But the guy wants to win, and this team is set up to win. You just got to put a couple pieces together to, to make it a winner. And maybe this Jock Peterson signing is something for maybe we can bring him back next year. I think it's just as the one-year deal. Um but you can bring him back like you but can, yeah but that's what i'm saying it's like you get him there yeah. and then you like bring win him with back. him yeah and just yeah. add him in your plan see like, how he fits mm-hmm. see how he fits but look i mean the, the braves they're not going to make the playoffs but the thing is you need to sh- signal freddie freeman that hey we're we're committed to winning you need to do it here with us i don't know uh, and I think we, can. we can't rule it out we can't rule the playoffs out oh i'm not going to rule them out completely i'm really optimistic and i don't think that's the goal anymore well the goal i mean obviously yeah, the goal is to make the playoffs but the world series like that's obviously not yes. a goal anymore it can't be Yes, I'm sorry. Like we're not without Ronald Acuna. I mean, shit. <laughs> it's kind of crazy that Chase Chase sounds more optimistic after the Acuna injury than he was before. It was like yeah, these, incredible. the roles were flipped here. It was like Chase was all doom and gloom, and and Garrett was like, "No, come on, Steve playing the division." Dude, I'm a hopeless optimist to my core. And God, well, I've been God, so cynical that. about the way Atlanta's oh, operated oh. over the last year that them trading for Peterson was a welcome sight. Like, I maybe I'm just riding the high of them just being like, we're not going to do the cynical thing and just trade Morton and Smith and just fade away into obscurity the rest of this this season. I think it's good and it means that they might not even trade Morton. Like, they might just hold on to him for this postseason push. I think. I just I think there is something where you don't want to have that in the locker room where you don't want to have that in the clubhouse of just being like, yeah, our front office just quit on us because we lost our best player. None of us matter. It's just Acuna. And if he goes down, then the season goes down. And I think that's a bad thing to send and signal to your guys. Um, I don't know. I just think that this is cool. I mean, we're still probably going to get Pache and Waters at some point and see how that all all looks. Mm -hmm. But 
I don't know. I think this is the kind of thing I hope they're not done. I would still like for them to call about Jermaine Marquez in Colorado. I would like to see what they could do there. I mean, Brian Reynolds is an all-star with Pittsburgh and still would love to see that. You can be more active. Like you can oh, Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant, they're not doing. You don't think so? I don't think so. Did but... you did you like Joe Buck asking about the trade stuff, the all-star game? His uh oh, I, didn't dad watch. Was... I watched until Freddie Fre- until uh I watched Shohei Otani and I watched Freddie Freeman hit and that turned it off. Well I don't Brian's dad was upset about it. Like they asked Chris Bryant really? about the trade. Oh, stuff. why? Oh, I didn't read into. Yeah, that. it's just not the why, place. Why the hell would you do something like that? Come on, celebrate the here and now. Yeah, I don't We're know. Joe Buck, Joe Buck every now and then. I mean, he's a great broadcaster. He's a great broadcaster. Sometimes that guy rubs me the wrong way. Garrett, would you would you trade Charlie Morton after acquiring Jock and seeing what they're doing at the moment? Would you would you sell high on Charlie or would you ride this out and go go for the postseason with Charlie Morton as your number one? If the offers. And I'm trading Charlie. I mean, I don't think anybody. He's not far from untradeable. He's far from untradeable. Um, but I mean, like Ian Anderson just went to the the IL again. He's on the ten day IL. Um, I'm worried about Anderson. I'm getting a little worried about Anderson because I mean, but and then Soroka's coming back next year. Hopefully, okay. I'm, I'm not doing that either. It's there. over. Like I'm not doing the. I'm penciling in Mike Soroka as a. Well, I'm not penciling in. I'm, I'm I'm not doing that again. But. No, I mean, but the thing is, it's like Morton is not necessarily, he's not part of this team's future. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, it's like he of the pitching staff, like uh, he is probably the most expendable by far. It's him and Smiley, obviously, because those guys aren't a part of the future of this team. So if, if somebody's willing to make an offer the, the, that will make the Braves organization better, then I'm going to say yes. I mean, I, I, because I, 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 I'm not married to, to him like i'm not i'm not going to keep him around if if um because it's like this team is this team isn't winning a world series uh i just don't see how that's possible unless they're barring some incredible like second half turnaround that nobody saw coming um i just really don't see that so yeah but i'm just happy for, maybe uh, the, the biggest question. thing is like i love watching brace baseball and i was kind of bummed that like with acuna just being gone that i would just have no reason to watch them and then it'd be like almost a year before i can enjoy them again you know because it's every year is precious man and baseball seasons are long and they're you you put a lot of time into it's them and so then are you are you opposed to trading morton then like are you just like you i know. think you can do two things i think you could it depends on what they trade him for. Like if they trade Morton, but also acquire an arm that is under team control for a couple of years, like a Marquez or even a Kyle Gibson or something, I'm okay with it. Like if they can, I think two things can happen where they can trade Morton for pieces in the farm system for the next couple of years. They can also acquire a controllable arm who will help them going into next year when Morton's gone. See what I'm saying? Like I'm okay with trading Morton, but I think they still need to add another arm, especially with Anderson dealing with what he's dealing with. Yeah, and if, if, like, you know, what if the game plan is to, to trade Morton, um, pick up some assets in order to fully go big game hunting this offseason? Like, mm-hmm. and if, if that's the plan, then it's like, That'd be who, wouldn't sign on, who wouldn't sign on to that? Like, that would be very interesting. I don't know, I don't know what you'd get. I don't, I don't know if you'd really get, like, a big prospect that would, or not big prospect, but even, like, you know, but you just, I don't know who you'd I'd, really get from Morton, though. Because I mean, like, prospect depth is important in those deals. Oh, of like, course. it's not just yeah. about the A-listers, and it's like, like it's about sort of who's the second, third, fourth guy in a big trade. Yeah, I mean, well, I think well, there I, are going to be a lot of suitors. I think that if you look at the Yankees right now, I think they are looking for it. You're looking like the Red Sox have gotten a lot out of. Uh, remember this guy? Like, it's a hodgepodge of of dudes. But Charlie Morton feels like a Boston Red Sox guy. Um, <laughs> there's just if you look around the league, I mean, I'm sure with Bauer 
being gone and i don't think we see bauer again this year in los angeles like the dodgers make a bunch of sense and we know what their pipeline's like like i would not be opposed to calling the dodgers about morton um there there are teams that will make the trade for morton even the a's if they really think they can catch the astros or just the astros themselves like we know that they like morton he's been there there there'll be options for charlie morton. see i don't think i don't think they're necessarily going to shop him so but i think hmm. that i think they will be willing to field calls on him because I don't know. That's just the, my, that's my two cents on it. I, I, I just think they're going to, cause they know what they have here. And the thing is like, if they go off and win the division, great. And I think you have, you having Mark Morton in the organization makes you obviously more likely to win the division this year. Um, so I think they'll field calls. I don't think they shop. Hmm. I don't, I'm not going to shop them around, but also one last thing on Josh Peterson, where do y'all see him batting in the lineup? Where do you put him? I mean, one or two, right? I would think I would think in the one spot, but I mean, he yeah. can also I, yeah. I could see him jump into that four, okay. potentially. Maybe I don't know. One mm-hmm. could be interesting though. I would probably start at one and see what happens. Well, because yeah. who else do we have? Ozzy. I don't like Ozzy at one. We've seen that before. Dansby's terrible at the one. Oh, absolutely not. I I don't really know who else would bat lead off for us. Because we've tried so many different things. Like we tried Ender and Ciarte. No, I, 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 no, 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 no. Do not put that in the universe. No, no. You never know. Snit, I just know for a fact Snicker is going to throw in someone who just has absolutely no business being in the leadoff spot there. <laughs> he tried that for how many months was that? How many months was Ender That was a Ciarte. square peg into a round hole when he has Ronald freaking Acuna. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Just put him in the one spot. <laughs> move on i oh, hated that that, that that oh god i'm still terrible. oh wait what's jordan schaefer up to can we get jordan schaefer back <laughs> maybe we get marcus giles or something while we're at it you know? yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> um last thing uh our atlanta hawks season's over uh it's gonna be quiet on the hawks front outside of draft stuff so i think we should dive into draft stuff with where they'll be drafting and what the options are there um but i did want to quickly ask you guys about john collins market um we'll be talking about that a bunch this offseason with the hawks but um in terms of the four teams that have been already listed as teams that are going to come calling about uh the restricted free agent mr collins the heat the mavericks the spurs and the timberwolves of those four who do you think is going to be the most serious max about john collins services oh you're putting me on the spot here um man with the free agent like like you have to imagine the mavericks half because the free agency class is like very it's you know john collins might be the you know if, if Kawhi ops in um sorry, i'm trying to think of the other names john collins might be like the most gettable top free agent out there um and if you're trying to think of like which of those teams is most desperate to make a splash it's got to be the mavericks um i don't know what what kind of offer sheet they can put together i think part of this is like you know, when you when you put these restricted free agency offers together, it's like how do you put as many poison pills in here as possible to like make Atlanta not match? Um, but then you also have to pay them that, right? So it's like it's, <laughs> you're walking the the tightrope here. But I, I think that Mavericks franchise is so desperate to surround Luca with with someone, um, and so I, you know, it's hard. It's early to say which I'm most worried about. I will say I'm getting warmer and warmer to the idea that if like a crazy offer comes in that you can just let him walk um i i go back and forth on that probably every week but i it just seems like given the free agency market he's going to get a contract that he is like that is above market value for a guy like him 
Um, but I'm, I reserve the right to to pull that take back. Uh, well, I think the plan in, is to overpay for Collins exactly. to keep him so that you can flip him later and you don't lose him for nothing unless you do a sign in trade. But like Collins is going to get a contract that is not um, not conducive to like, how can I frame this? Collins is not going to get the kind of contract that you can have in the books and win an NBA championship. Like, I don't think he is going to get the kind of money that like the best thing about John Collins is like, if he was a vet, if he was already in the Jay Crowder stage of his career, right. Where he, he saw himself in that light of just like one of the key veteran cogs on a, on a good team. Like he's someone you want to go to war with. Like Collins is someone like Jay Crowder has never made a three, but people just think Jay Crowder's a shooter. Cause he shoots threes. He just never makes any didn't of them. He, didn't he make like six in game three? Pull it up, dude. He is like a 28% career three point shooter. Like it's, he is awful all the time from three he misses more than he takes and collins is like one of those where it's like the number like he'll have the 20 and 14s and he knows what he's doing he'll he'll have the crazy offensive rebound games but he's he's okay he gets left open in the corner he'll hit his corner threes but like collins is he's fine he's a role player like he is someone you want he he can be on the floor among your five in an nba final situation but he can also he needs to be like the fourth or fifth highest paid player or maybe even the sixth and I don't think Collins is at that point because he's young. He wants to set himself up for life. He wants to get the money. He wants to see what happens. That's all great. Like, I understand where he's coming from with all of that. It's just not conducive because the Hawks have too many guys waiting in the wings. And I was talking to Mike Prada, uh, formerly of SB Nation and now of Limited Upside, um, about this on Tuesday. Was that, like, he? the thing about the Hawks is they're going to be, like, the, the, the buck is going to come due for paying Gallinari and Bogdan last summer. Like, this is going to be one of the, the part of the fallout of going all in last summer and filling up that cap space is the tough questions with John Collins. And it, he, he will not be the last tough question they have to um, answer. And I, I'm curious to see how Schlink operates because it's going to be tough. Like, Lou Williams wants a multi-year deal. You're not getting a multi-year deal. Also... You're not paying a backup point guard a multi-year deal. That's insanity. You were not well, he's doing not, it. He's also not coming back, so that's we don't have to worry about that. But yeah, uh, Jake, I just want the record to reflect that Jake Crowder shot 38.9% from three this yeah. year and is shooting 46% <laughs> from three in the finals. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, I'm saying career. I was about to I'm say saying career. Yeah, saying, no, I'm saying career. He can shoot it. He, oh, he's a career like 34 and 30, a half. Okay, so he's half. below league yeah. average. In the playoffs. I'm just saying. Any, he was 29% last year. He was 29% last year. He was 29% in Memphis. We don't have to litigate your, He was 31% in Utah. He was 32% in Cleveland. He was, he was 32% in Toronto. In, in, in Miami. He was 29% in Dallas. No. Majority of his career is a 28%. 28% in Boston. Like, the majority of his career has been flirting with that. And then he'll have the crazy heat stroke years where it's like, yeah, 46% one year and uh, or 36% uh, one year in Boston. But like, by and large, it's been mostly bad. He's mostly a bad three point shooter. It's average. He's average. No, He's average is 35. He's rarely That's, hit 35. He's 34 point, but he's 34 point he's six also, for his career. That's he was also a, average. He was, also, he was a particularly bad three point shooter, like at the beginning of his career when he didn't really shoot him. So that's yeah. Oh, that's one thing. But I think the the the, the dichotomy here is that like the Hawks' long term future probably does not involve John Collins at you know pick a number 27, 26, whatever, 25 million dollars a year on the books. Like that's probably not the long term roster construction of the Hawks, and we we know that. But it's also like if you learn anything from the NBA, it's that you don't 
Like the Hawks could could match any deal basically, and he's still an asset. And so like you don't at twenty three years old like you just don't. And it rarely works out that you let an asset walk for nothing and like make out better in the long run. Um, and like we learned that with the you know we learned that firsthand with the Kings and Bogdanovich. Like you just don't let a guy like that go for nothing. And so if it, it means matching at a at a number you're probably not super comfortable with and dealing with it later, like that's probably the smart way to go. But the There's long-term also- roster construction here, like. You know, it's a question that will come come up sooner than you know, sooner than later. Basically, there's also the question about like what sort of impact. I mean, obviously, this is not a tangible thing, but it's like what sort of impact what does he have on that locker room? Uh, because I, I know mm-hmm. you guys definitely yep. read that that being like he was uh, what, what do you call it? What was he called? The um, vibe master in chief or something? Mm-hmm. Or oh, vibe yeah. master, whatever executive vibe chief, officer, vibes whatever. officer, or something. Yeah. vibes, something like that, something vibes, whatever. But but it's like that kind of thing is, is kind of an important aspect to a locker room, you know, and and I don't know what that would do necessarily to the locker room if he if he does end up walking. Um, and and yeah, he and he's also 23 years old. He's 23 years old. He's a leader of, of a, a already very young basketball team. Um, so we don't know how much more he could continue to develop. Uh, and we had Brian Scalabrini on maybe like a week ago, and he says like one of the biggest concerns of a 23-year-old who is at the back end of a dra- first round or something like that and was never looked at uh, to be that guy necessarily is that what happens when he gets paid? And that's it's never a fair question in my or fair question to ask in my opinion, but at the same time, I mean, Scalabrini asked it, and so I've, I've been thinking about it. What happens when John Collins gets paid? Does he still have that chip on his shoulder? Does he still push in the same way that he that he had? Uh, does he actually get better next year, or does he fall back? Because that does happen with some professional athletes. I don't. That's, I don't again, I, I also don't think that's always a fair question to ask. But because uh, just because you don't know the general makeup of that person, but we also just got to go really forth, move a lot of like resources Mac. over for the Cam Supermax. So that is something we have to, uh, <laughs> have to keep in the in the forefront, guys. No, but as as someone driving, you know, speaking to you, as someone driving the Cam Reddish bandwagon, like. The development of Cam Reddish would be would be improved quite a bit if John Collins wasn't on the team next year. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of, well, I think Hunter line, more than Collins. I would say yeah, well, you could put DeAndre more. Hunter into the four, and then you yeah. could play both of them with Cam Reddish at the three, or with either Bogdanovich or Herder. You know, Cam doesn't really matter because Cam will be guarding whoever the best player offensively on the other team will be. So it's like what position he plays doesn't really matter as much because Cam is just going to guard whoever. Both of them could. And then you're just putting him out in the corner for a lot of, a lot of, a lot of offensive possessions. Like Cam's just a right, wing who can know. guard one through five. Like, but we it's saw the minutes, off the dribble stuff. Still minutes crunch, you know. There's still minutes, you know, yeah. finite number of minutes to go around. This mm. team could be very good next year. I'm, I'm just, really I'm just I mean, they should be good. If this team is healthy. This team is going to be very good. Um, no, if if it's healthy, this team is going to be very good, very very Are good. We, I think it's going to be a top three team in the East. Are we talking draft on this episode, or are we waiting on that? Let's wait on that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I want to do a deep dive on that. And what do you I, mean? I've gotten really, I've gotten really. This disappointment was palpable, man. I felt that. <laughs> it's a deep draft, man. Like, yeah, I, I, I Well, I mean, if you want to talk about Keon Johnson or Jaden Springer, I'm more than more than welcome. I would, I would love your insight there. Where are I mean, we picking? What's our, what's our actual draft spot? I haven't, I haven't actually looked into any of this. Twenty. They'll both be gone. Maybe Springer will be there. Who knows? Springer might be there. 
I got I to gotta freshen up on some uh, late round. Is the G League already over? Guys. Because Ignite just lost Brian Shaw to the Clippers, like, immediately. Like, yeah, it's, it, it's over. <laughs> like, that was the whole thing, was bringing in Brian Shaw to make this uh, a thing, and then he's just yeah, gone. That, that's all, like, a one-year thing. I mean, all like all the young guys are there one year. Well, so no, what like, I'm saying is I wonder now with NIL um, being a thing, where it's like, uh, if you're Jonathan Kaminga or whoever, Jalen Green, like, uh, I can just go get paid now at UCLA. I would rather just go make a lot of money on endorsements. Like, live where you were living and playing with the G League Ignite. Just go to USC with the facilities and get paid and just be on TV all the time because no one's watched Jalen Green play uh, a second of basketball yet. And he's going to go no, and draft. Like, I, haven't watched a, I haven't watched a minute of G League, but I saying. would watch him if he played at UCLA. Exactly. I'm t- this NIL stuff is fantastic. I love it. All these guys get nitpicked when they go to college and like no one's seen Jalen Green play, but he's about to go second in the draft. True. But Kate Cunningham goes to the people people who matter have watched him. I don't think Jalen Suggs goes top five without his season at Gonzaga. But but okay, Josh Christopher, a five star top 10, whatever guy went to Arizona State, had a mediocre year and is going to be a second rounder. So it goes both ways. That's true. That is true. Um, all right, guys. That's all I've got today. Uh, anything you would like to plug as we wrap up here on our Friday Atlanta sports, guys? Oh, man, I get, I get to go on vacation uh, tomorrow. Oh, are you going to be back for the pod next week? Oh, hell, oh yeah. I'm, it's only like, I'm back on Sunday because I have to work. <laughs> oh, that's a short vacation. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I leave. Uh, we call that the weekend, like actually. I think, Garrett's the, the been, I think Garrett's misunderstanding what the weekend is. What you're oh, going. bro, I haven't, I haven't worked. To, I haven't not worked a full weekend in God knows how long. At, mm. least, at least this year. Max, what about you? Nothing to plug. Uh, Hawks in seven. <laughs> <laughs> Hawks top three seed in the Eastern Conference. Book it. Hawks, Hawks 62 wins next year. Oh my God. Uh, Bad. Let's go. <laughs> oh my God. All right. For that guy, Max Margovich, and that other Atlanta sports guy, Garrett Chapman, and for myself, Chase Thomas, that is all we've got. We'll be back as we are every single Friday. So go like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Just uh, Google Atlanta Sports Guys. We'll come up. I promise. Thank you as always. And uh, we'll be back next week. All right. Welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast. Boys and girls, I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas. And joining me, as always, it's my good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Sir, how are you? Doing excellent, sir. It's a, it's a Friday. It's a little different than the uh, than Thursday I'm, I'm used to. Yeah, so I hope I'm I was... still as sharp, you know, <laughs> ready for the weekend. That's good, man. I'm, uh, I'm happy. Can you tell that I'm recording in a different studio? Uh, no, I can't. Where are you at? Uh, the lady and I. Uh, I have a place, so I am recording in our in my new studio office uh, in the northern part of Knoxville. It's a lady, so got a new uh, set up in the new digs. Very nice. You're not the only one doing the whole uh, let's make a life and have a dog, and uh, I, I gotta <laughs> match the dog. Like uh, I gotta match it. You you've encouraged me, Matt Green, to uh, take that next step with uh, uh, with the, the American girlfriend. dream. Mm-hmm um but yeah man it's it's good uh we have a lot like i'm in suburbia you know but if you're in knoxville Mm -hmm. it's not like a huge city but it's a it's a respectable city 
So are does that make you are you a suburbanite or are you are you doing are you a, a city dweller if you will? Uh, mostly city because like downtown Knox is two minutes from our house. So um, I would say not suburbia. This is this the way I describe it is this house reminds me a lot of where I was living for several several years in downtown Atlanta after undergrad. So the Virginia Highlands. This is like Virginia Highlands where it's like right off downtown Atlanta. You know what I mean? That's what I would oh, describe. Oh man, it as. a little a uh, little humble brag there. Living in Virginia brag. Highlands, no big deal. What? Like it's a nice area, nice area of Atlanta. No, no, it's going through some stuff. Well, also, I will say it is nice for people who buy, but like my rent was like six hundred dollars a month. It was not. Uh, it's not crazy. It was an older house. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was. I'll never find that again. In Atlanta, you probably were not living to. to, to you you weren't living the high life then. Well, I was having three roommates, so it was just a house, four dudes, and that. So you, the the landlord was doing all right, uh, but it was good. It was a good situation for a long That's time. That's a dream, right there, man. I just want to be a landlord. Just, <laughs> Is that what just, you want to be? Like, honestly, at this point, I feel like passive income, man. That's where it's at. Like, I just want to own. We 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 after we're done with this, just get our next house and just keep owning this and then rent it out. Like that would be, that would be sick. Just, mm. just keep, keep making some money. I'm tired of working for money. <laughs> like that's what, that's what poor people do. They work for their money. The, the wealthy people, they just, they just collect the money. Like I want to be one of those people. Uh, Matt clearly had a tough week at the mysterious day job. <laughs> um, that's great. That's great. Or you could just do like, even just do the whole entrepreneurial stuff. You could you could do all that. Um, sure. Well, we got some some topics to, to hit like today. It. We got Sporting News released their top 150 head coaching rankings. We got the Transfer Portal top 150 coming to us from 247 Sports. Um, we got Nebraska getting a new AD. And the legend, Frank Solich, stepping down, unfortunately, from the Ohio Bobcats. Maction will never be the, st- the same due to health concerns. And then we watched... 2009 Oregon versus Oregon State for this week's recap of a great game from the college football lore. Uh, Matt, where do you want to start? Um, I guess we'll start start with the headlines, right? You want to wait, leave that game for last, or you just want to jump into that that throwback? Let's leave that game, game for last. Let's leave that game for last. Um, let's let's do headlines first. Let's do Frank Solich stepping down from Ohio. This was a this is a bummer. Like he's been quietly just put together, great program. Like it feels like forever ago that he was competing with the big boys with Nebraska back when Nebraska was was good and still competing. Um, he has just been hiding out, and uh, I think it's Athens, Ohio. I want to say it maybe. is Athens, Ohio. Um, great run for Frank Solich, right? Oh uh, yeah, definitely. They've been a, a respectable program in recent years. On top of, and can I tell you? Can I give you a Frank Solich stat? And just how awful Nebraska's been since he left too. Can I give you a Solich stat? Yeah, give me a give me a Solich stat. He is the winningest coach in MAC history. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean they've had a bunch of nine, ten win seasons, or maybe one ten win season, but a bunch of nine win seasons. And in the MAC, that's uh, that's respectable because you you probably have a couple of those those paycheck games every year, going to play Michigan or going to play Ohio State or something like that. So nine and nine and four is basically it's probably like his average season there. So maybe eight and five. That that's big time work he's done for the Bobcats. So 
Also, he played fullback at uh, Nebraska and was a assistant under Tom Osborne forever as a running backs coach. But he surpassed in his first six seasons at Nebraska um, the wins of Bob Devaney, who had 53, and Osborne, 55. Both of those guys are in the College Football Hall of Fame. You're familiar with the College Football Hall of Fame, Matt. Very. Solich won 58 games in his first six seasons. Like, that dude won and then got moved on. He was fired by the new AD, Steve Peterson. And just to, like, where we know Nebraska is now, Nebraska went 9-4, and 12-1, and 10-2, and 11-2, and 7-7, and 7, and 9-3 and the year he got fired in 2003. Can you That's imagine? Like, they would kill that. for that now. Well, but what's crazy is, like, they made the mistake twice at Nebraska. Like, they fired him after going 9-3. and three. Like, obviously, that was terrible like all the success he had but they did the same they turned around did the same thing to Bo Pelini like he was going like nine and three every year and that whole clip came out I think that was maybe the real reason uh, Bo Pelini got fired of that, when he was just kind of bashing Nebraska fans for like unrealistic expectations but yeah I mean the Bo Pelini era he's going 10 and 4 10 and 4 9 and 4 10 and 4 and he even got fired like I don't know what really what more Nebraska wanted from what Bo Pelini was doing. And and Solich really just had the one down year. So I'm and and the fact that he's coached for this long since leaving Nebraska, I'm I'm sure they're regretting that decision. Yeah. I mean it's one of those where you have to adjust your expectations where you're like I you gotta understand like things are good. Stop trying to like <laughs> it may not be exactly what you want, but things are things are things could be all always be worse. And uh they have found that in recent years in Nebraska. Well, and I wonder, like, like, did they go downhill because they fired Frank Solich, you know? Or was it like, I don't know, Nebraska, like in the modernization of college football, was Nebraska like kind of a ticking time bomb anyway? Like, were they going to go downhill? Because, you know, we haven't seen Nebraska be relevant in in years, really. Like, I mean, when was the last time they played for a for a conference championship? Like, we're going on shoot at least probably like eight nine years right since they were even in the big 10 championship so it's uh with with their with their fan base and everything it it doesn't seem like they should be down for this long but i don't know just in the middle of nebraska i just don't know how many how many guys are wanting to come out there well speaking of nebraska they hired a new ad to replace bill moose who's retiring trev alberts little concerned that he's going by trev um as an adult grown man cannot be going by trev not what a fan. Should, should he go by trevor yeah but he's always been trev alberts like mm, don't like it sorry trev is get, a young person like it's a kid name it's a kid nickname your friends can call you trev i, I, res- AD being I respect trev. it he's, he's uh he's a young he's a younger <laughs> a younger ad though you know so he's uh he's that new that new blood they're bringing in. But I, I always liked Trev Alberts when he was uh, on ESPN, personally. I thought he was uh, I thought he was always the, the best one on the set compared to Mark May and Lou Holtz. Mm. Well, he is going to be uh, appreciated by the, the Huskers fan base. Like, they're, they're in on this guy. Um, they, they love him igniting... Um, just one of the Huskers' greatest runs. I'm con- I'm not concerned. I guess I'm curious to see what his relationship's like with Scott Frost, who's 12 and 20 to this point at Nebraska. Um, if 
they have some sort of connection where he's going to give him more time because he understands or he has no he's not the one who hires Takat. so does he just look at this year as like a make or break year that they have to uh really start contending because they have 155 million dollar football complex um under construction by memorial stadium um they have talent i mean you have a good quarterback like i i'm curious to see if albert's gives frost more leniency because of the the past or is just like nah we we have a lot of money here and we have high donor activity and like we we're going to go back to the drawing board to ensure that uh our expectations are being met because we're nebraska i'm i'm curious yeah i was kind of wondering the same thing because it's it's almost like a cliche when an ad gets hired like he's got to get his guy you know so Frost is not the guy he hired. So most guys, I don't know, maybe it's just looked at as as the the AD's legacy of of bringing in a uh, a big time successful coach. But at the same time, Scott Frost is Nebraska, just like Trev Alberts is a Nebraska guy. So I wonder if that'll help. Maybe at least buy him a couple years of maybe he understands just how bad of a situation this program is in right now. And it's not going to help anything if we just go ahead and fire another coach. Like, I think we need to take a serious look in the mirror of, like, what are our expectations at Nebraska and what does it take to get there? Because just just firing your coaches every four or five years, like, that's not going to do anything. No. But uh, I don't know. There, it, It does feel like Scott Frost is not gaining the momentum he should be gaining at this point. I think it's fair to... I don't know, question whether or not he is the right guy. Like, it's not even like he's going bowling every year. Like, I No, think... I would definitely, yeah. And they've, they've had five losing seasons in the last six years. So, and three of those are Scott Frost. So, I don't know. It's, um, I feel like I feel confident that Scott Frost is a good coach, you know, with his track record at Oregon and uh, what he did at Central Florida. But, like you said, like, when you're looking at someone like Mike Norvell, like, He's coming in and like he didn't have a good first season, but they're creating a buzz on the recruiting trail now. Like it's people are talking about Florida State. Like it's it's showing that like there's some there's some wheels in motion. And Nebraska, like they they really haven't changed at all the trajectory they were on since since Scott Frost got the job. Other than just being ranked in the AP poll one year, I guess because people assumed Scott Frost was gonna was gonna get him to the next level, but they have. They haven't really done much. They have not. Um, let's get into um, some topics that we wouldn't to hit on today. Before we get into Oregon, Oregon State, um, the transfer portal, top 150, most of the dust has settled uh, a little bit too much Tennessee at the top of this list for my liking, Matt Green, but that is to be expected after the ouster of Pruitt and everyone who moved on from that. Also, Caden Salter, ending up at Liberty, that dude is just going to, he's going to follow Malik Willis and just be awesome at Liberty. Like that guy, it's going to be painful, but had to be done. Um, Heupel's hands were tied, but um, yeah, that uh, that's going to be a bummer. But um, you see, Liberty also got a former Georgia receiver, mm. uh, JJ Holloman too. He did, was, they, uh, it, did he really? I didn't even see yeah, that. Yeah. Cause he was at, went to FIU, but I think he was sitting out. I don't think he ever even actually played at FIU. I'm not hundred mm. percent sure about that, but yeah, he was a uh, he was good for Georgia in 2018. I think that was his his freshman or sophomore year. So it'll be interesting. Liberty's got a lot of weapons. 
was Holloman a five star coming out? I feel like he was, wasn't he? No, he was like a top one hundred recruit though. Okay, he he was he was the one um, that committed with the whole little Christmas thing they had going on. I don't <laughs> know if you remember that video that came out. It was like him and Nate McBride who also didn't really turn into much for Georgia, but mm. it was that was that first full class that Kirby had with with Fromm and and Richard LeCount and everything. Mm. Well, no surprise, Henry Totoa being number one at Bama. Um, probably going to play himself into a first-round pick because of his time in Alabama this fall. Eric Gray at Oklahoma should just be awesome in that system. Um, your guy, Eric Gilbert, um, being used as a Swiss Army knife, similar to Kyle Pitts at UGA this fall. Um, but those are, the, those are the obvious ones. Wandell Robinson, who I'm a big fan of, and what he's going to do at Kentucky going back home there. Um, who from this list uh, stands out to you? Do you agree with it by and large? You got your guy Tyke Smith um, in that top ten, but your guy Tyreek Stevenson making the jump to Miami. Um, who in this list really stands out to you? Because I, for me, it's Kane Madden. I was doing some some tape work on him from Marshall and like what he was doing there. Um, he was second team All American last year in twenty twenty, and then just going to the the offensive line factory that is Notre Dame think he's going to be really really good there and i think uh that's a big get for for the fighting irish to protect their their new quarterback under center what what do you think who what names stand out to you well as far as just individuals go uh he's still obviously one of the more unproven guys on this list but the name that is like the most intriguing to me is demarcus bowman come out he didn't even play at clemson Mm. i think he transferred before the season even started last year and then now he's going to be at florida five-star from Lakeland, Florida, just with the the lack of running game Florida's had over the last, you know, two or three years under Dan Mullen, like like the way they, people talk about Dan Mullen, like that's his bread and butter, right? Like that's what he did so well with Dak Prescott, with Nick Fitzgerald at Mississippi state was just having these, these dynamic running attacks. And you haven't seen that at all from Florida. I think it kind of speaks to how, how good of a coach Dan Mullen is to, not have the personnel to run the ball well and you know he's just turned him into a, a passing a, a very dangerous passing offense but if if they're able if this guy is is the the five-star billing he was supposed to be coming into college like he's essentially a redshirt freshman right now and i think that could make florida so dangerous if they actually have a, a, a tailback that that scares defenses because they really haven't like the entire time dan mullen's been there when they had who was it uh, when they had that that two the two running backs? It was P Ryan and somebody else. Like P Ryan was fine. Like he got drafted, but he was he was nothing special. If they can actually get a running back back there that's special, I think running backs are kind of that ultimate kind of like scheme breaker. It's like if a running back just is making people miss, like there's there's nothing a defense can do to to scheme for it. You know what I mean? Like it's just kind of that ultimate X factor. So I'm I'm really curious to see what Florida gets out of Demarcus Bowman, but but um, just in terms of looking at this list, like I think it's very it's very well uh, reported of how much Tennessee lost in the transfer portal. But what's crazy to me is seeing Clemson at number five, Clemson at number six, and Clemson at number seven. Mm. Like those those are three big pieces uh, for them to lose, and they're all guys that went to the big time SEC programs: LSU, Georgia, and Florida. So Clemson could be lacking lacking some talent. Like obviously Clemson's still loaded, but that's those are some big pieces for for a program like that to lose. 
speaking of Tennessee, the Ty Tandler stuff being on this list is silly. Like that dude is going to do nothing in North Carolina. You can talk about their scheme all you want. Like I, I've watched a lot of Ty Chandler in my life. It's not happening in year 27 of his college career. Like uh, the, the, I would not buy a bunch of stock there. But where I do think there is, well, like if we do a new list at the end of the season to see how this all plays out, I would not be surprised if McKenzie Bilton's in the top three and also Zach Charbonnet. Um, those two stand out to me on the bottom half of this list because Charbonnet, we we only saw a little bit of him at Michigan and because of injuries, but like him and we watched Chip Kelly last night, right? Like we were watching what Michael James, we just see, have seen for so many running backs when Chip Kelly gets his hands on like a, what was his name? Uh, uh, Kelly, I forgot his first name. Um, at UCLA, but like he, he knows how to use running backs in the RPO system. He knows how to do this. And Dorian Thompson Robinson with Charbonnet, I think has all kinds of opportunity in the PAC 12 South. And I think he has the talent. We saw it in his freshman year that like that dude, you talk about the running guy game changer. Like you put him in chip Kelly's system. If he's healthy, I think that's going to be huge for him. And I also just think Mackenzie Milton, if, he looks like he did in the spring and anywhere close to what he was at UCF years ago, then that's a game changer for Florida state. Like they have not had a difference maker quarterback in so long. It's been since what Deandre Francois was the last game changer when he was all hyped up uh, against Ole Miss to kick off a season, which feels like forever ago. Um, I think that that's a game changer for them because then you look at Florida state in a completely different light. If McKenzie Milton is, what we all expect and i mean he's an nil champion right now but uh we'll we'll see what it <laughs> if it translates to on the field stuff but he's just an easy guy to root for but i could just see him being at number one number two at the end of the year deandre francois was a uh that was a a deep track right there mm. i totally forgot about deandre francois because he really just had that one year and then that year that they uh, opened up with alabama like number one versus number two that mm-hmm. was essentially like the start of the the downfall of Florida State football, but um, Joshua Kelly, that was, was the, it. Yeah, the name you were looking for, but uh, yeah, I think um, in Chip Kelly's system, I could definitely see uh, see your boy having some success. Yeah, um, but that that's all the big ones, I guess, um, from this list. Uh, the next thing I wanted to hit, Matt Green, um, the top 150 head coaching rankings. Um, I got really upset when You're I saw mad. This this one really bothered me like it's it's bad matt green like it's it's objectively bad um i (laughs) i i'm very annoyed i'm very annoyed about a lot of names on this list and where they are um i don't even know where to start where where do you which name stands out to you the most that like i I just i need someone to explain to me i want to sit down with the person who put david cutcliffe in 2021 ahead of chip kelly justin wilcox kalani sataki um jeff halfley billy napier at 53 bill clark at 54 what are we doing jeff monken at 57 what 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 how brett bielema just because of what he's done in the past being at 64 behind mel tucker and mike loxley who what what matt yeah, wells I mean- ahead of just so many matt wells has been a train wreck sunny dykes i think is the one that's most offensive to me at 73 there is no way on this planet that Sonny Dykes is the 73rd best head coach in college football. That dude is going to put out a top 25 program no matter what. Like, he wins everywhere. His offense is just like, it doesn't matter what changes and who's in it. That guy wins. That guy is 
just guaranteed to put SMU and wherever he's coaching in the state of Texas or anywhere in the West on the map. He's down just, I, I don't understand how you do that. And then you have some names. Gary Patterson, the, the Lifetime Achievement Award at 22. Gross. David Shaw, 24? I feel like 22 seems right about where Gary Patterson should be. I feel 10 like years that, ago, yes. Not now. I feel like that 50, oh, 10 years ago, he was like top five, mm-hmm. like, like top 10. But I don't, I'm not nearly as high on you as, as you are on Chip Kelly. Like he's, what he did at Oregon was amazing, but that's forever ago at this point. He's coming. I mean? Like this year is huge for him. He took over. I don't think people realize just how bad, how much bad shape the UCLA program was when he took it over. That's fair. But if he, if he, he has to take that step with UCLA to show that he's like, we saw a lot of it last of year elite coaches and in, in college football. But I, I felt like Scott Frost at 49. Yeah. Get out of here. Super generous. Justin Fuente at 51. Like, I don't know how you're putting guys like that ahead of Billy Napier at 53 and Bill Clark at 54. Like these guys. And you said Jeff Monken, like these guys are actually having success like Justin Fuente, like I feel like Virginia Tech. I think Justin Fuente's tenure at Virginia Tech has showed us how not big time Virginia Tech football is. Like how far they've actually fallen from like if the way we grew up, you know, like I would say, you know, actually being aware of of the national sports uh, picture, like in the two thousands. Virginia Tech was like a top 10 program, like my my childhood and early adult life, right? Like Virginia Tech was consistently in the top 10 all the time. Like Justin Fuente has done nothing, but not only that, no one even talks about him not doing anything. It's like it's like they've become that irrelevant. Like at least Jim Harbaugh, it's like at least the 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 seat is heating up. Like people talk about how disappointing it's been. It's like what are we on? This is this year five of Justin Fuente, or we're going on year six, right? Yeah, three, four, five. Yeah, we're going on year six, and like you got a, a nine win season and a ten win season. It's gotten worse 22. every year. Exactly, and it, I'm just not sure. He seems almost like I don't know immune to the to the pressure that some of these other coaches are under. I mean, I agree. Uh, there's a lot, um, but in the top half. Who, like Ed Orgeron, I guess because he won a national title recently, you have to put him in there, Jimbo as well. But like, I don't know, Ryan Day still being in the top six with, uh, he's such a hard person to rank right now. He should still get an NR until, but like Kirby at seven, I guess is okay. But Matt Campbell, at least he's in the top 10, but nine seems low. Mac Brown, I think belongs there. It's kind of wild to see him there. The Mario Cristobal though. At 16, I, he's recruiting sure. well. I'm not sure how he's ahead of any of those. Paul Christ, Mike Gundy, Kyle Whittingham, like Tom Allen, even Kirk Ferentz. Like, yeah. I'm not sure what Mario Cristobal has proven to be ahead of any of those guys. And if you're going like, to put Mario put Cristobal Stoop. that high, you got to put Manny Diaz that high. Like, I don't know. I almost think that Hugh Freeze probably belongs higher up the list. I absolutely think Hugh Freeze is, should be higher on that list. Like, 30, like... Manny Diaz at 31, too? That's that's generous. Well, like, what universe is anyone taking Clay Helton over Hugh Freeze? Yeah, exactly. No, Nowhere. Like, that's not happening. Yeah. I, Clay Helton at 25 is definitely... And I would probably... I might put Lane Kiffin a little bit higher, but 26, that, that might be about where he should be. Orgeron, I think, 
is probably the most difficult person to rank because we just literally have no idea how good of a coach he is. Like, I don't even know what his impact on the program <laughs> is like. I, he, he seems like a guy who's just the, the inmates are running the asylum for for lack of a better term. Not saying anything about the LSU football players, although there's obviously been some some shady things coming out. But like you said, Ryan Day at six. Th- this top seven, eight, nine seems pretty consistent with what the majority of of college football fans think. Uh, just to refresh people, we got Saban one, Swinney two, Riley three, Kelly four, Fisher five. Day six, Kirby seven, and Mullen eight, Campbell nine, and Mac Brown ten. I just, you know how I feel about Lincoln Riley. I feel like he just, he gets all of the credit with none of the blame. I I personally rank Kirby a couple spots b- above where he's at. We've been through that before. I know this is why these coaching rankings are so difficult because it's not a career achievement award, but it it kind of has to be a little bit, right? Like. Jimbo Fisher's national championship is we're going on what eight years ago, but he's still one of like four active coaches to actually, or is it no five active coaches to actually have a championship. So like, I don't know how you really rank Brian Kelly ahead of Jimbo Fisher. And I don't know how you rank Lincoln Riley. Like I guess Lincoln Riley, you're at least projecting forward, but for someone like Brian Kelly and Jimbo Fisher, like they've been around the same amount of time. They've kind of inherited similar programs like I think Notre Dame was definitely worse when Jim when Kelly got the job than Florida State was when Jimbo got the job. But Jimbo Fisher seems like a guy that people have such differing opinions on. Like I personally rank Kirby three. I think outside of Saban and Dabo, he's the best coach out there. But like he's the definitely the coach I would want coaching my program behind those two. But I don't argue over Brian Kelly and Jimbo Fisher being ranked ahead of Kirby because they've legitimately accomplished things over their track record. But but Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day, it it seems so odd to me to put them both consistently in the top five like so many people do when they're just still so young and fresh and mm-hmm. haven't taken the program to any new heights than it was previously at. And that's part of a – it's partly a disadvantage they have of taking over successful programs. It makes it hard to evaluate – but at the same time, their job is just so much easier that they need to have tangible results to really prove how good they are. Yeah. Well, let's move to the next thing. Um, your list, the CBS Sports Hot Seat Rankings. Lay it out for, for the good folks. So CBS Sports did the hot seat index, whatever you want to call this, and they just rated them one to five. So five is winner be fired. Four is start improving now. Three, pressure is mounting. Two, all good for now. One, safe and secure. Zero, untouchable. So they had 22 coaches that they gave a zero rating to, which is just untouchable, which I kind of was surprised at that lit at, you know, that many coaches being untouchable. But when you see the guys they chose, I, I could understand that. Who did but they choose? So I, I can't go through all of them. They're kind of alphabetical, but there's okay. guys like Saban, Dabo, uh, Jeff Monken is in there. Luke Fickle, mm. Kirby Smart, uh Tom Allen at Indiana. It's like that's another one. It's like you don't really consider him a zero, but it's like 
you know Indiana's not firing him, so that is legit. Like they're they're gonna ride that as long as they can. Then you got Hugh Freeze, Billy Napier, just some of those some of those names, Mac Brown. So it, it's Pat Fitzgerald. So it's it's an interesting way to to look at it. But um, I think I was I was as a Georgia fan, I was delighted to see this list because. It feels like there's this artificial exterior pressure being put on Kirby Smart in Georgia. Like, they don't win a championship this year. Seat's getting hot. And it's like, no, it's really not. Like, Georgia fans desperately want a championship. But they they feel confident that Kirby is the guy. And I would say just from talking to Georgia fans that I know, like, his seat couldn't be cooler. You know what I mean? It, even though there is a lot of that pressure it's like that the pressure existed before kirby got there it's not specifically on him it's just the people of athens georgia won a championship more than anything you know what i mean i've heard that they're they're in on the whole national title situation i've heard that that is something that they want it just the thing that irritates me is that Mm. People say like this is the year for Georgia, right? If, if Why Georgia doesn't irritate about this every time it comes up, like you, I I, I like get irritated be, because I at the same time they rank them fifth. Like, have you seen one poll that has Georgia higher than like third or fourth? Like, I haven't seen one. Almost because every everyone wants to put them at one, but everyone's terrified of putting Georgia one. But it's like if you, that's what you think, if you project them to be the best team, put them at one. Like that's what the whole purpose of the preseason ranking is. It's like it's like oh they got to win a championship this year. Oh so they're number one, right? Oh no, they're five. <laughs> well, well, what? Well, why is why is this the year they have to win a championship if you don't even think they're number one? Like it's just a it's just a strange logic to me. But um, there's three coaches that they listed at a five, which is win or be fired. Do you think you can guess those three coaches? Win or be fired. What qualifies as win or be fired? Like six, seven games? Like what state of the programs are they in right now? When you say win, like win a title or win to get them out of like the gutter? What is? I would say most of these are to get them out of the gutter. Just looking at the specific coaches. But it's also different programs have different standards, right? Like, okay, you got to give me the conferences. Okay, so we got one Big Ten. We got... Shoot, I, I think they're independent now. Honestly, I should know that this as a college football person. Okay. But uh East, former Big East team. I think they're I think they're independent. Okay, so Randy Etzel, Scott Frost. That is correct. Both of those are correct. And then there's one more you got. And UConn is independent now. Um what was the other conference? Uh ACC. Mm. Hmm. ACC. Dave Doran? Justin Fuente. Oh, Justin Fuente, yeah. So they had him as a two last year, and now he's at a five. So, hmm. uh, And they had Chip Kelly as a five last year, and now he's at a three. So what's interesting is they had Randy Edsel at a five last year, and he's still there. So this list might lose a little credibility. But, um, but yeah, and, and Scott Frost they had as a five last year, and he's, and he's still at a five. So I'm... Um, Scott Frost, like I want to like Scott Frost. I just, I think it's just inevitable that he that Nebraska is not going to be back this year, and I just feel like if that's what their standards are, like he's he's probably losing his job. Mm. I mean, they have talent. Like there is all kinds of talent. Losing Mondell Robinson's going to hurt, but like if Adrian Martinez pops, like that dude is he has all the tools. Like there is the key has a Heisman type player 
under center. Like if he puts it all together, like the, the, the tools are there. Um, but we shall see. We shall see. Just to give you a couple more zeros on this list, though, do you agree with Kyle Whittingham and Paul Crist both being a zero? Yes. I would agree with Whittingham. I guess Crist, I don't know. Wisconsin's an interesting job in that respect. But uh, but also you got Bill Clark. I would agree with that one. But I th- what, two I thought were strange, I definitely would not list him as a zero, would be Gary Patterson. And oh, Dave yeah, no, Shaw. definitely not a zero. They have him at like, zero? Mean, they got a statue. They got a statue for Patterson, but like... Do they really? Yeah, he's like one of... I think there's like three head coaches that had statues for... Actually, I think it's only two now because uh, Bill Snyder's retired. But um, yeah, there's a statue for him at outside TCU Stadium. But Weird. I just don't think it's a zero. Like TCU the has been kind of going in the wrong direction for, for a while now. Yeah, I don't like and then, that. And then Stanford, I don't... I personally don't really understand the obsession with David Shaw. Like, he kind of inherited the good program that that Harbaugh established, and it seems like they've just kind of been on a on a slow decline ever since. Like, they had a couple good years when he first took over. I guess he had more good years than I was giving him credit for, but they just seem like they've been on a on a slow decline for the last you know three or four years. Yeah, no, Shaw, I actually agree with. And that's like, because he still recruits. Like, remember he got David Mills out of GAC, like a five-star kid. Like, he still recruits high-level guys and, like, the offensive line and the defense is usually solid. But it is weird that they've kind of fallen off. And, like, he was the the hot name to get the Jets job or whoever for several years. And now it's just, uh, in, in the Pac-12, it's not like he's dealing with the SEC or even just the Big Ten. Like, he is in a very winnable conference every year. Like Stanford, like that, that should be an opportunity for them because the Pac-12 is just down and they have not taken advantage of a down Pac-12 as a good elite coach should. If you have a zero on your ranking, you should be taking advantage of the state of this Pac-12. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, let's get into our rewatch this week, Matt Green. We watched Oregon, Oregon State from 2009. The one thing I'd forgotten about is who the actual quarterback was for Oregon State. I remember Masoli, I remember James, I remember um, Mali, um, the 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 wideout for Oregon. I remember Kiki Alonso coming onto the scene. Yeah, I was I was expecting to see like was it Sean Mannion a few years? Yes, back? like I, I did not remember. What was it was it Sean Canfield? Is that yes. was that? I had never even heard of that guy, to be honest. And he was a lefty, which was great. But super accurate. Jesse Palmer was salivating over this broadcast. Like, just really, really all in on uh, uh, average white quarterback who doesn't make mistakes and throws 70, complete 70% <laughs> of his passes. Like, Jesse Palmer found his, his Pac-12 quarterback comp. But um, he was he was solid. But this game was, like, there was a crazy quizzy run. Or I guess it was a, a screen uh, midway through the second um, that ended up being a field goal i recall for for the beef i was a huge jack quiz rogers fan that dude is just a bowling ball like it was, he was so it. much fun to watch and then like there's some stuff with michael james where if you look at the box score it won't tell you the full story because he ended the game with 25 carries 166 yards and 6.6 yards per carry and three tds he got bottled up by this oregon state defense most of the night like halfway through the first like i think it was the whole first half he really had nothing um I was thinking the same thing. You could see kind of why he wasn't an NFL running back after mm-hmm. watching this game. Like for for I mean, he was ridiculously productive in college, and he I mean he did nothing in the NFL. And it's because they were basically running the triple option, you know. And it's that's not how 
that's not the the running lanes you run through in the NFL. This game had high stakes. Is this the highest stakes civil war of all time? Like the winner was going to the Rose Bowl to play Ohio State. Like that's kind of wild. Like when was the last time that was going to be a thing? Mike Riley, man, he I deserves was gonna... a statue outside of Oregon State for putting him in that spot. <laughs> I figured you were going to bring that up. That of like the the good old days of like. <laughs> The, the season finale decided who wins the Pac-10 and goes to the Rose Bowl. Like those are the, that was a great time. So much drama, you know, but unfortunately those games are never going to happen anymore, especially with the, with the expanded playoff. Yeah, it is. But honestly, I legit forgot about LeGarrette Blunt until I saw him come in. I was like, oh wow, this was that year that he had the 10 game suspension after he punched the, the, the Boise State player yes. and everything. Like that was wild. That was a wild night. I remember that night and just uh, texting friends about that. I was just like, "Did you see what like like uh, that was a that was a wild time?" Um, what were your other takeaways? What did you think of Masoli in this game? Masoli, that Masoli was a real throwback for sure. That was um, I just I got I like I smiled once I saw Jeremiah Masoli. I was just kind of like, "Oh, this is that era." Okay, I know I know I know where we are, but um, uh, yeah, the dude just he ran so hard for a quarterback and that. That run at the very end that kind of sealed the win, just straight trucked that defensive flare. <laughs> but um, I actually I saw this article that came up from 2019 that it said like Mazzoli's bulldozing run essentially sent these two programs on opposite paths, and it was kind of mm. crazy. You look at it like since this game because Oregon State also actually lost the bowl game this year. I think like the Las Vegas Bowl or something. And so they didn't finish ranked. And so since this game, Oregon State has finished ranked one time and that in the last 12 years. And right after this season, like Oregon just took off. Like in the next five years, at four top 10 to top five finishes, like five straight top 10 finishes, like Oregon just took off after, I wouldn't say it was this game, but it literally was after this game. It was just a streak of just Oregon becoming like the, the sexiest team in college football. Hmm. Well, you can't win them all. You can't win them all. Oregon State. For sure. Yeah, Mike Riley, like him moving on for Nebraska was not not the best move for him. I guess it's you have you want to take those shots because it's Nebraska, and if you revitalize them and win there, it's it just the fan base is just different than in Corvallis. But he had a good thing going in Oregon State, and Oregon State hasn't figured it out. Jonathan Smith building something, but um, Oregon State had it had it good during the summer. And also James Rogers, the Rogers brothers were just so much fun. And James Rogers was just a yak machine. Him and Quizzy, just yak machines. And um, I don't know, it was just interesting to see how this game worked too because of how different they played. Like there was a very pro style, slow and steady. We'll do some jet sweeps with James Rogers, but like we are we are going to do those quick comeback routes. We're gonna do the NFL stuff with our uh, our very average quarterback who does not take chances downfield and Oregon's like RPO, 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 jet sweep, reverse, uh, deep bomb. Like it yeah. was, it was interesting to see the, the different identities on offense between these two teams, because it could not be any, di- like any more stark when you're watching and you're just like, the motion is different. Everything was different about Oregon versus Oregon state. For sure. And it's just it's just a completely different era. Like just looking at their two schedules, like Oregon State played four ranked teams, two top ten teams. Oregon played five ranked teams, two top ten teams. Like this was just a much healthier version of the Pac Ten. Pac yeah, version of the Pac twelve because this was the Pac Ten. Mm. 
What was your favorite uh, announcing moment from this game? <laughs> I don't think I had one thing kind of tripped me out was that recording we were watching was ESPN classic. So like, I'm, I, I feel like just growing up when we did, like you can't not just look at the bottom line while you're watching a game, you know? Yeah. And so this game is from 2009, but the bottom line is from 2012. It was just, it was, uh, it was totally throwing me off. I was like, wait, what Georgia and Alabama and SC championship. It was, it was, uh, it was kind of funny, but, uh, I didn't have any, I didn't have any thoughts necessarily about the announcers. I thought it was weird. Did, was this a group? I don't remember Fowler and Palmer doing this. Where was Herbie? This could be before Fowler really got those real big time games. Mm. You know what I mean? Like before he was really doing like the ABC national game of the week, I guess. Yeah. That must be what it is. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, there you go. And the good, uh, good history nugget about the, the fall of the program after, after this game. Um, I also think Mario Cristobal, like this iteration of Oregon was just so exciting and they were just must see television. And I understand like it ran its course, but like the difference now I'm watching Oregon now playing like Alabama. It's, uh, it's not as, not as fun. Like it will, it will help come playoff time, but I do miss this iteration of Oregon. Cause if you watch them now, like it's just bad offense. Like they were bad, objectively bad on offense last year. And they're just not an offense. First team, they're a defense first team. Um, but, but yeah, um, Matt Green, do you have anything that you would like to add as we wrap up here on this, uh, different Friday edition of the, uh, of the pod? Uh, that's all I got, sir. All right. For that guy, Matt Green down there in Tequila, Georgia for myself, Chase Thomas up here in Knoxville, Tennessee. That is all the time that we have today. Until next time, be good to each other, folks. Thanks, Matt Green. Later. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.